Chapter One of the Penny Come Quicks. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Penny Come Quicks by Sabine Baring Gould. Chapter One Shaking the Tree. There is an aboriginal race in Borneo of which it is said that they dispose of their aged parents and relatives in an interesting, novel, and altogether aboriginal fashion. They courteously, but withal peremptorily, require them periodically to climb trees, and when they are well up and grappling the branches, they shake the trees. If the venerable representatives of the earlier generation hold on, they are pronounced to be still green but if they drop, they are adjudged ripe, are fallen upon and eaten, the palms of the hands and the soles of the feet being reserved as the prerogative of the heir at law as the richest morsels. We do nothing of this sort in Christendom, least of all in civilized England. God, we thank thee that we are not as other men are, even as these Borneans, for the conversion of whom we put prayer up at the family altar, that is, the breakfast table, or offer our mite, a veritable mite, a microscopic fraction of our income. We look in England on our aged relatives with reverence, not with greed. And if we butter them, it is not because we desire to eat them, but because they are susceptible to butter. We never calculate the number of pounds they weigh, we never look hungrily at their palms, and never put the ladder against the tree, and with hat off and professions of respect and endearment, invite them to climb. The Eskimo act very differently from the Borneans. They take their ancient relations and put them out of their huts in the cold and leave them to freeze or starve. What a stride humanity has made with us! We deal with our poor meager relatives in this way, we? As little do we turn them out in the cold as we do fall upon and eat up our plump ones, like the Borneans. One of the pleasures of having a rout is the pleasure of having it over, said Tom Hood in his poem of Miss Kilmanseg and her golden leg. And he said truly, most truly, when that rout was one of obligation or of interest, or of obligation and interest combined, when it was not a spontaneous burst of hospitality, but a labored affair, and like a labored literary effort, heavy. Mrs. Sidebottom, or as she was pleased to accentuate her name, City Batome, sat before the fire with her silk evening skirt turned up over her knees to prevent it from becoming scorched, and with her neat little feet on the fender. What tricks we do play with our names to deliver them from the suspicion of vulgarity. How we double the capital F's and convert the I's into Y's so that common little finches can strut as finches, and insignificant smiths can add a cubit to their stature as smiths. How for distinction we canonize our final syllables, and convert Sinjins into St. John's, and Slodgers into St. Ledger's, and elevate Mungi into Montjoy, and gallicize our Mullins into Mullanies, take the blackness out of death by spelling it Daath, and even turn a devil into Deville. The candles had been blown out on the chimney-piece, in the sconces on the walls, and on the piano. A savor of extinguished candles pervaded the room. Mrs. City Batome, her name is given as pronounced once again, 
that it may stamp itself on the memory of the reader mrs city batome the third time is final sat by the fire with puckered lips and brows she was thinking she was a lady of fifty well very well preserved without a gray hair or a wrinkle with fair skin and light eyes and hair the color of hemp her eyelashes were lighter still so light as to be almost white the white not in fashion at the time but about to come into fashion of a creamy tinge she was not a clever woman by any means not a woman of broad sympathies but a woman who generally had her own way through the force and energy of her character and as that force was always directed in one direction and her energy always exerted for one purpose she accomplished more than did many far cleverer women she rarely failed to carry her point whatever that point was whatever that point was it was invariably one that revolved about herself as the moon about the earth in the universe as papagino about papagina in the magic flute and as the cork attached to the cat's tail in the nursery if mrs sidebottom had been a really clever woman she would have concealed her ends and aims as those who are smuggling lace or silk coil them about them and hide them in their umbrellas under their cloaks and in their bosoms but she lacked this cleverness or failed to admit that selfish aims were contraband we are all selfish from the smallest herb that strives to outrun and smother those herbs that grow about it through the robin pexy that snaps the worm from its sister flapsy and the dog that holds the manger against the ox to ourselves the crown of creation and the climax of self-seeking but we do not show it the snail has telescopic eyes wherewith to peer for something he may appropriate to himself but the snail when he thinks himself observed withdraws his horns and conceals them behind a dimple mrs sidebottom was either too eager or too careless or for charity hopeth all things too sincere to disguise her horns she thrust them this way that way they went up to take bird's-eye views they dived beneath to survey matters subterranean they went round corners described corkscrews to observe things from every conceivable aspect they were thrust down throats and into pockets and though small were of thousandfold magnifying power like those of a fly and like those of a prophet saw into futurity and like those of the historian explored the past in a lounging chair also near the fire but not monopolizing the middle like his mother sat captain pennycum quick the son of mrs sidebottom he wore a smoking jacket braided with red or brown and was engaged languidly on a cigarette case looking for a suitable cigarette mrs sidebottom's maiden name had been pennycum quick and as she despised her married name even when accentuated past recognition she had persuaded her son to exchange his designation by royal license to pennycum quick but euphony was not the sole or principal motive in mrs sidebottom that induced her to move her son to make this alteration she was the daughter of a manufacturer now some time deceased in the large yorkshire village or small town of murgatroyd in the west riding by his second wife her half-brother by the first wife now owned the mill was the head and prop of the family and was esteemed to be rich she was moderately well provided for she had a sort of lean on the factory 
and the late mr sidebottom solicitor had left something but what is four hundred per annum to a woman with a son in the army dependent on her and with a soul too big for her purse with large requirements an ambition that could only be satisfied on a thousand a year would any stomach be content on half rations that had capacity for whole ones on the fringe of the arctic circle a song is sung that iceland is the fairest land that ever the sun beheld but it is only sung by those who have never been elsewhere now mrs sidebottom had seen much more luxuriant and snugger conditions of existence than that which can be maintained on four hundred a year for instance her friend mrs tomkins having six hundred was able to keep a little carriage and miss jones on a thousand had a footman and a butler consequently mrs sidebottom was by no means inclined to acquiesce in a boreal and glacial existence of four hundred and say that it was the best of states that ever the sun beheld mrs sidebottom's half-brother jeremiah pennycumquick was unmarried and aged fifty-five she knew his age to a day naturally being his sister and she sent him congratulations on his recurrent birthdays every birthday brought her nearer to his accumulations she knew his temperament naturally being his sister and could reckon his chances of life as accurately as the clerk in an assurance office to impress the fact of her relationship on jeremiah to obtain if possible some influence over him at all events to hedge out others from exercising power over his mind mrs sidebottom had lately migrated to murgatroyd and had brought her son with her she was the rather moved to do this as her whole brother nicholas pennycumquick had just died there had been no love lost between jeremiah and nicholas and now that nicholas was no more it was possible that his son philip might be received into favor and acquire gradually such influence over his uncle as to prejudice him against herself and her son to prevent this prevent in both its actual and its original significations mrs sidebottom had pulled up her tent pegs and had encamped at murgatroyd the captain wore crimson silk stockings and glazed pumps he had neat little feet like his mother when he had lighted a cigarette he blew a whiff of smoke then held up one of his feet and contemplated it my dear lambert said mrs sidebottom i wish you could slip those red stockings of yours into your uncle's beetle crushers they would be too roomy for me said the captain not at all lamb your feet would expand to fill his shoes argued his mother my feet are pinched enough now certainly sighed lambert pennycumquick this dinner will not have cost us nothing mused mrs sidebottom looking dreamily into the coals the champagne was six and six a bottle and three bottles were drunk she also heaved a sigh almost a pound surely gooseberry would have done no lamb it would not it never does to be stingy in such matters though how we are to pay for it all mrs sidebottom left the sentence as unsettled as the bill for the champagne was likely to remain i don't see why you should not tell uncle jeremiah how crippled we are never said his mother decisively man's heart as naturally closes against impecunious relatives as does a tulip against rain when you are bathing lamb you never voluntarily swim within reach of an octopus 
if you see one coming with its eyes fixed on you and its feelers extended you strike out for dear life it is so in the great sea of life which is full of these many-armed hungry creatures the waters are alive with them great as a needy relation and small as a begging letter it is insufficient to know how to swim one must know also how to kick out and keep away from octopuses no jeremiah must not suppose that we want anything of him it seems to me mother said lambert that you might just as well tell him we are in difficulties and need his assistance i am sure he sees it he was very cold and reserved to-night not on any account you are quite mistaken he has not a suspicion let me see the waiters were half a guinea each and the pheasants seven shillings a pair we could not have six penny grapes it would never have done i hate reckoning on dead men's shoes said lambert it is mean besides uncle jeremiah may outlive us both no lamb he cannot consider his age he is fifty-five and you mother are fifty only five years difference mrs sidebottom did not wince you do not consider that his has been a sedentary life which is very prejudicial to health besides he has rushes of blood to the head you saw how he became red as a tritoma when you made that ill-judged remark about salome apoplexy is in the family our father died of it well i hate counting the years a fellow has to live we must all hop some day i trust he enjoyed himself said mrs sidebottom he took one of the angers a cheval did he touch the isis i think not i am sorry i mean i am thankful they are bad for apoplectic persons lamb he pays income tax on twelve hundred he does not live at the rate of five hundred not at the rate of three perhaps eventually he may leave the mill to philip and the savings to me i won't think of it as it may all turn out different but that would be best for me not best lamb both the savings and the mill should be yours what should i do with a mill you would not have me turn manufacturer no but you could sell the business this is like selling the lion's skin before the lion is killed said the captain with a little impatience after a pause during which mrs sidebottom watched a manufactory and a bank and much treasure in the red-hot coals crumble down in the gradual dissolution to ashes she said lamb you have no occasion to be uneasy about your cousin philip i am not i have not given him a thought jeremiah can never forgive nicholas for withdrawing his money from the business at a critical moment and almost bringing about a catastrophe when nicholas did that i was as angry and used as strong remonstrance as jeremiah but all in vain nicholas when he took an idea into his head would not be diverted from carrying it out however absurd it was i did not suppose that nicholas would be such a fool as he proved and lose his money he got into the hands of a plausible scoundrel schofield yes that was his name schofield who turned his head and walked off with pretty nearly every penny but he might have ruined himself and i would not have grumbled what alarmed and angered me was that he jeopardized my fortune as well as that of jeremiah a man has a right to ruin himself if he likes but not to risk the fortunes of others 
the captain felt that he was not called upon to speak it is as well that we are come here pursued mrs sidebottom though we were comfortable at york we could not have lived longer there at our rate and here we can economize the society here is not worth cultivation it is all commercial frightfully commercial you can see it in the shape of their shoulders and in the cut of their coats as for the women but there i won't be unkind uncle jeremiah winced at my joke about salome salome repeated his mother and her mouth fell at the corners salome she fidgeted in her chair i had not calculated on her when i came here really i don't know what to do about her you should not have made that joke it was putting ideas into your uncle's head it made the blood rush to his face and that showed you had touched him that girl is a nuisance i wish she were married or shot she may yet draw a stroke across our reckoning mrs sidebottom lapsed into thought thought that gave her no pleasure after a pause of some minutes captain lambert said by the way mother what tablecloth did you have on to-day i noticed uncle jeremiah looking at it inquisitively naturally he would look at it and that critically as he is a linen manufacturer and weaves fine damasks i hate shop but what tablecloth was it the best of course one figured with oak leaves and acorns and in the middle a wreath just like those thrown over one's head by urchins for a tip on the drachenfels are you sure mother i gave it out this morning would you mind looking at it i do not think the table has been cleared yet when i saw uncle jeremiah was professionally interested in it i looked also but saw no acorns or oak leaves of course there were oak leaves and acorns it was our best then i must be blind fiddlesticks said mrs sidebottom however she stood up and went into the dining-room a moment later the captain heard an exclamation then his mother left the dining-room and he heard her ascend the stairs shortly after she descended and re-entered the room with a face the color of a tablecloth or to be more exact of the same tone as her eyelashes well said the captain languidly have the oak leaves and acorns disappeared in the wash oh lamb what is to be done jeremiah will never forgive us he will feel this acutely as an insult that owl that owl of a maid has ruined our prospects what has she done and not one of the waiters though paid half a guinea each observed it what was done she put a sheet on the table and made up your bed with the oak leaves and acorns end of chapter one